Let's actually record this episode. It's probably an important part of the process. Yeah, I suppose that uh, we can't really tell the people what's up without, you know, recording it. Yeah, I mean, RIP the 50 minutes of content we just recorded without hitting record. They were the most brilliant, insight-filled 50 minutes of content the Netrunner community has never seen. Yeah, unfortunately, they're going to have to get by with this pale imitation of the brilliance that we forgot to lay down on audio 50 minutes ago. Mm -hmm. Yep. And honestly, if anyone in the audience is confused as to why the slums came up with the 50 most brilliant minutes of audio that the Netrunner community has never seen. Um, well, you see, there was a demon, the shiny demon in the middle of the road. And he said, make the best podcast in the world. Wait, hold. Oh, is this a Tenacious D thing? Yeah. That, that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you caught me. God damn it. We cannot afford Jack Black suing us, Josh. <laughs> we do not have Jack Black suing us levels of money. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, after the first time, he completely wiped us out. Wait, what? Hello, and welcome back to the Slums Cast. I am Neuropancer, and I'm a magnet for ionic compounds. And I'm Josh, still rocking the title of Netrunner's okayest player. The man, the myth, the legend at being okay at Netrunner. If this is the first time that you've tuned in to the Slums Cast, I have some important news to tell you. That important news is this podcast will not make you better at Netrunner, and it also will not make you a better person. If this is not your first time tuning into the Slums Cast, the news still applies. Normally, at this point, what we would do is introduce the special guest that we have for this episode. This week, though, we're actually doing something a little bit different with Slumscast than we usually do. We don't have a guest on this week. And honestly, you might be wondering, the Slumscast has a tried and true formula. It may not be good, but at least we're used to it. Why are we straying from it? The answer, honestly, this is a pretty exciting time in the game's history, in my opinion. System Gateway, as a product, it's about as conceptually new as we've seen since really the original core set. And because of that, both the quality of the cards and the type of product that it is, we know this is a moment when a lot of new players are joining the game of Netrunner. This episode is actually aimed both at new players and at longtime veterans of Netrunner. We're not going to go out of our way to be as inaccessible as we sometimes are, not to use as much in-language and Slack memes, though they will still come up. We are still us. We can't avoid those. But this episode is a little more aimed at talking about some of our favorite Netrunner memories along the journey that we've had through Netrunner and talking about kind of what makes Netrunner fucking good. One quick question before we begin. Of course. Am I allowed to get really gross and sappy in this episode? Absolutely not. All right. Follow-up question then. Yes. In a fight between me and the feed, who would win? Uh, I think... Me, because I'm cutting it. At least that's the only fallout of the decision not to let you get sappy and emotional here. Oh, I'm not done. Uh, I'm not done. Oh, fuck. So now that we're back here, if I can't get all gross and sappy, no segments. What? what? One run. What? How, how can we not? 
are, are, are you saying that there's one segment and it's called no segments? I don't get it. I, how do we not have segments on the Slumscast? What are you talking about? We almost never have segments on Slumcast. I am so confused right now. Uh, oh God. Not even Akamatsu Memchip? Especially not Akamatsu Memchip. I've got an idea for a new segment that isn't Akamatsu Memchip. Can we do that one? Is it called Dyson Memchip? No. Okay, fine. It was LLDS Memory Diamond. Can we do that? Let's just get going. <sighs> Fuck. Okay, fine. Um, all right, well, the... Uh, oh, God. Um, okay, well, if we don't have segments for the Slums cast, I guess, um, I guess I'll just ask you a question in that case. Um, if any new people are listening, though, I, I do want to point out one thing. While we're reminiscing here, if you haven't already discovered it, there is a site called Netrunner DB, as in Delta Bravo.com. Or as in and database. You, or as in database. You can look up any of the cards that we are talking about as we're reminiscing here and get an idea of what some of these cards were doing. All right. Uh, let's see. Here's an interesting one. Thinking back on when you started off in Netrunner, one of the things that drew me to the game initially was this idea of having an identity. You get to play as a person or you get to play as a corp. What was the first ID that you played in Netrunner? I played Wizard back before Wizard was good and I was drawn to him because he was, you know, a gamer and that's pretty cliche, but uh, mm -hmm. gamer, gamer, hey, yeah, I'll play this guy. <laughs> Something that I probably should have asked before this question, but I'm going to ask as a follow-up. How did you get into Netrunner in the first place? What were the circumstances of that first game that you played? It's actually a really funny story. Well, it's not really funny. It wouldn't be our podcast if it was really funny. So FFG was changing their locations around the time that Netrunner had come out. They used to have this small dinky store in the middle of a strip mall. It could fit maybe 20, 30, 40 people if you're lucky. You wouldn't call it the FFG Center so much as like the FFG Centroid or something. I would call it the FFG piece of shit hole in the wall. <laughs> My buddy and I roll over there. It's after work. We hit the bar. They have a firkin. That's like an 11% beer. A firkin is a small keg. So we consume probably most of this firkin. I'm not going to lie. Effigy was pretty close to the bar. So we just kind of walked over there. Stumbled, rather. What they announced is, hey, we have this new game center. And it's going to be fucking awesome. They took everybody that had showed up down to the center. We get in there and it's like a warehouse. They give us an opening date and my buddy and I decide, okay, we're going to make the opening date. When the place opens, we do the exact same thing. We get outrageously drunk because we're like, well, you know, during the announcement, we were outrageously drunk. So we might as well for the opening. It makes sense. Logical consistency. Yeah. My buddy has just gotten into Netrunner and his buddies are into Netrunner. And he's like, I got this game I got to show you. We set up. And I'm playing Wizard, and he's playing some sort of NBN. And we just proceed to play the most esoteric and complicated card game that I have ever played, outrageously drunk. And I fall in love with it for some reason. So <laughs> like... <laughs> I guess it's not that complicated if a drunk as hell stumbling motherfucker was able to figure it out. 
it can't have been that complicated. Presumably, you had three stim hacks in your deck. You played the three of them and you won the game. No, actually, on both counts. I mean, this is the slums, so it would make sense that the origin story is not, I played three stim hacks and won the game. Yeah, I thought tags were like way more scary than they were in core. You started out very early in the game's history then. I think they had released maybe three or four packs halfway through Genesis. Yeah, it must have been 2016. It was relatively early the year 2016 that I first played Neverrunner. The way that it came about was a friend of mine who I played a lot of other board games with. We were making our way through the top list on Board Game Geek. We were enjoying them, and he said, well, one of the next ones on the list is Android Netrunner. And it's a card game. I don't know if you like card games. And I was like, I, I like card games. I used to play Magic. Sure, I'll try this out. So we bought a copy of the core set. I played Jinteki Personal Evolution, and he played Noise. And it was, looking back on it, a terrible game of Netrunner. <laughs> Awkward in every possible way. I had no idea what to do. I had no idea how to win the game. I knew what the legal actions were. I had watched the learn to play video, but God, I had no idea how to win the game. And I ended up winning because I installed a snare and he ran on two carts. Basically how you win an original core set. There were things that I liked about the game, but I wouldn't say it was a very good first game of Netrunner. It didn't hook me. There were things that I enjoyed about it, but that was not the moment where I really said, oh, yeah, Netrunner's a cool-ass game. It was cool enough that I was willing to play it again, but if I had to choose between a game of that and a game of Race for the Galaxy, at that point, I was probably choosing Race for the Galaxy because the two of us had played that game a ton and gotten to the point where we had a pretty interesting metagame between the two of us. That's actually one of the things that I think is great about System Gateway. The fact that we have these decks that actually function as decks, I think is the most important thing. They give you a reasonable path to victory. They help tell you how to play the game. And they don't leave you in a situation where the only way you can win is installing a snare behind ice and hoping that the runner has two cards. You aren't forced to luck into a win the way that you were in the original core set. Mm -hmm. System Gateway does, I, I believe, it really does represent the best and most well-curated set for a beginner to start up. That was talking about the first time playing Netrunner. The first idea we played, what the first game was like. What was the first moment where you really thought Netrunner is cool as hell? Oh, dude, right away. The flavor and the mechanics of the game drew me right in. I have always been into like sci-fi stuff. Most science fiction is very dystopian. There's not a ton of hopeful sci-fi. There is, but the vast majority of it is like post-apocalyptic or some entity has taken over or it's aliens and they're out to destroy us. The world always provides the conflict in a lot of sci-fi. And with Android, I think Android asks the question, what if we solve a lot of the current problems that we have with technology and things become more hopeful and we advance as a civilization, but we still have different problems that arise. We still have these mega corporations. The same problems in a sense. But they've eliminated disease and they've eliminated most hunger. Android is a natural extension of where does our technology take us? 
and if it solves some of our most basic human problems, but kind of introduces others without making it a dystopia, you know? Android asks the question, where are we going? And what does that mean? And I really dig that because it's not, we went to someplace terrible and now you're trying to save the world as the runner. It's just trying to present this future world where same shit, different era. <laughs> and I, I find that really interesting. The other thing is the mechanics of the game. I would say that there is nothing like Netrunner that I've ever played. There's aspects of it in other games. There's other asymmetrical games. There are other card games where you don't bash dudes against each other. When you make a run, which I think is the best part of Netrunner, the most interesting part, it always feels dynamic. And it always feels like you're looking the other person in the eyes and going, I'm going to do something. What are you going to do to stop it? There's nothing like that. It's just the best feeling in any card game. It took a little longer for me. There were things that I liked about Netrunner right from the get-go. I really liked the asymmetric element. I really liked, honestly, and this may be partially because of the fact that Genteki was the first game that I played, I was really drawn to the hidden information aspect of it, idea of bluffing and the idea of traps. And it is a core part of the game of Netrunner, though not in the way that I thought at first. The feeling that I had at first was, this is a cool game. It's cool enough that I'll continue looking into it, but... I don't know if it's something that'll be a long-term investment of any sort. There were kind of two moments for me. The less serious moment was the first time that I saw the card Sundu next to the card Replicating Perfection and realized what happened there. Kind of like, oh, okay, you've got this idea ability. And the idea ability, like I scratch my head a little bit when I look at it. If Once I finally parse through the text, the idea is they have to run a central server before they can run a remote. Me kind of scratching my head like, okay, what does that do? I had not at that point really realized how important Nisei Mark II was as a tool. I guess you force them to spend a click before you run the remote so they have one less credit because they can't click for a credit first. I don't know. That's uh, Net damage seems better. And then you have that next to a card that says, if the first click on the runner's turn isn't spent running this server, you gain two credits. The light bulb went off. Oh. Oh, replicating perfection forces that to happen. You always get paid from this thing. And if they don't trash it, you get paid even more. Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> and kind of organically discovering one of those combinations. And there are countless combinations like that in Netrunner, where it's oftentimes intended, sometimes semi-intended synergies between different cards. The toolbox element that we were talking about with June Discovering the way that your toys fit together in Netrunner can be extremely fun. So that was one of the moments for me. The other moment, actually, I'm going to bring up in a different question, but that was kind of the moment that really cemented it for me. Excellent. Actually, yeah, let's get into that story, I guess. The next question I have is, what was your first Netrunner tournament? Since I've kind of already alluded to it, I'll, I'll go first here. The first Netrunner tournament that I played in, it was entirely a kitchen table game for me for a solid three or four months before I ever went to a tournament. Like I knew that there were tournaments at the local game store. I knew that there were like game night kits or store champs or whatever, but I was like, eh, I don't care. And then I heard that there was a regional championship coming up and I don't even remember what the prize arts were in that regional, but that was actually the thing that drew me in. I was like, oh, I could get copies of that card with that art. That's really cool. Obviously, as a relatively new player of the game who didn't really know what he was doing, I 
completely net decked for it. I picked up one of the decks that had done well on Netrunner DB. One of the functions they have on that site is there's a deck list of the week tallied based on votes from players throughout the week. I picked one of the recent decks of the week, which happened to be Spags's Pitchfork list. I won't go into the whole list, but the idea of it is it does a lot more things at instant speed than most Netrunner decks do. And it has a very toolboxy flavor where there are specific cards in your deck that do a specific thing and may not be good in other circumstances. So it was a fun deck to play as kind of someone who didn't have the fundamentals of Netrunner completely down, getting to do a few flashy things that felt powerful and helped me win a few games was really nice. But the moment that really cemented, oh, damn, Netrunner is really cool, was actually something that I played against rather than something I played as. The second or third round, I had an okay record at that point, and I played against a player from the Atlanta meta. So he had driven about seven hours to be at this regional championship. Wow. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he was on NEH, near Earth Hub, very fast, very tempo-driven ID. And he had the card Team Sponsorship in it. Team Sponsorship is a card that rotated, but was very powerful when it was in the game. And its effect is when you score an agenda, you can install a card from your hand or from archives, ignoring all costs. I saw the ID NEH. I kind of vaguely knew in the back of my mind that one of their important cards was AstroScript Pilot Program, which is an agenda that helps you fast advance other agendas from your hand. And I knew that I had a clot in my deck. So I was like, oh, okay, great. I just play clot at the window that I understand when the window is because of a forum post that I read. I got this. No problem whatsoever. And this player proceeded to completely dismantle me by scoring an agenda off the board, using team sponsorship to get a third ice for free on R&D, and just saying, all right, have fun ever getting into my centrals. I'm going to do my thing on the remotes. You're not going to be able to complete, like I can run you out of resources that stop the fast advance, and you can't win before I do that. And that was the moment where I was like, oh my God, like, Team sponsorship, what I've always seen online that you use that card for is helping your fast advance. You get a CVS back or you build out your remote ice. But what it did here was something completely different. That is so cool. And just that realization that Netrunner had that strategic depth and complexity. That was when I really bought into the game and thought, okay, this is a game that I want to play for a while. I can't say that my answer is too similar. But it's when I realized that deck building was a big component and that there are some people that have some wild ideas about how cards fit together and different ideas uh, that aren't the consensus all the time. My first real tournament, call it a juiced up game night kit. And so there was no cut. It was always just Swiss Swiss, for those who are not familiar, is when you pair the highest ranked player against the next highest ranked player all the way down until you have all players paired. I don't remember what decks I bring. I think it was some sort of generic Waylon, and I might have discovered Andromeda at that point and was finally playing a good ID. What I had learned about the game in playing it over the last couple of months before I decided to finally pull the trigger and regularly go to these GNKs was Criminals Siphon You. Shapers hit R&D, and I don't know what the fuck Anarch does. As an Anarch player, what the fuck do you do in Anarch? 
I do okay in the first round. I think I split. I get paired up against this local, and he's playing Chaos Theory, who is just a vanilla shaper, 40-card deck, only gives you an extra MU. I'm having this vision in my mind of the thing I read online and the thing I discovered through playing casually at this place over the last couple of weeks, which is Shaper, the Maker's Eye, R&D. That's what they do. They do R&D. And so I have a one-ice hand, and I have a, a hedge fund, and I have no agendas. So I'm like, okay, Shaper R&D. So I'm going to hedge fund, stick this ice on R&D, gain a credit, pass turn. Classic corp opening in those days. Okay. Dude's just going to build up, you know, because Shaper, they're not going to be able to get into my R&D right away. They're going to need to make money so that they can break the ice and get in. No, no, no. Click one. Account siphon. Whew. So drain five, gain 10, take two tags for one click and zero credits to begin. So the next thing he does, vamp. <laughs> And vamp allows you to spend credits to take away an equal number of credits from the corp. So I get vamp to zero, and then he makers ID, <laughs> and I think got scores him. an agenda off of it. God, you just got like you had honestly oh. a pretty good opening. The hedge fund, the ice turn yep. one. That's a good mm -hmm. opening, and you just got demolished. Oh yeah, because I did not realize that you could splash account siphon everywhere. Even though I was on, like, I think three in the Sandy deck, I realized that you could splash the good cards everywhere. And that kind of hooked me more because I started thinking about, well, honestly, I started thinking about how you could put account siphon and everything. And for a long time, that's what people did. Makes sense. If you want to win games, import the most powerful card in the game. Did anything really stand out in that first tournament to you? One of the things that stood out to me is the interactions I actually had with the players at this tournament. Mm -hmm. I was used to a much more toxic relationship between yourself and your opponent at a card game tournament based on experiences in another card game that is named Magic. The angle shooting and a Netrunner, it felt the exact opposite. People were fun to play against. People were nice and interested in more than just seeing you as a potential match win. That was a huge thing for me. Going back to the game against NEH, one of the things that stood out for me is since I was a new player and I could tell that this guy was a pretty good player, I kind of asked, what should I have done differently? How could I have done better in this game? And like sat down and gave me a solid five minute overview of here's how I think you should have played the game. There's kind of an over explaining gamer mode that many people in the gaming community have. It wasn't like that. It really was kind of an, okay, well, since you asked, here's my opinion. I think that this could have done better. I think that this tool that's in your deck is really, really powerful. And you would have done better to try to lean on that. Solid, good, friendly advice. And that really stood out to me because I'd never had an interaction like that in Magic. <laughs> yeah, Hundo P because, or let me rephrase that. Rephrase Hundo P. I agree. That's, yeah. I don't like that. No, 100%. That is something that I have found is kind of the rule and not the exception in the community is there is a very welcoming atmosphere. And yes, from that beginning GNK on until my career as a Netrunner player now, the old salty veteran, I very rarely run into people that are just straight up dicks. What people are interested in is finding the best player, not who can game the tournament the best. 
So that guy that I was talking about siphoning me, vamping me, and then the makers eyeing me to score some points, that guy actually legitimately felt bad. He looked me in the eyes and he's like, I am so sorry. I know that this is your first event. You want to have a good time, but I I also do kind of want to win and I'm going to be very aggressive about it. So yeah, my cards. Well, of course he felt bad. He played the maker's eye on turn one. Bad call. Bad call. Slums move. First time playing the game, the first time like really digging the game, and then the first time playing it in a tournament environment. I think those are some big moments in the early journey in Netrunner. What happened after that? Did you start joining the community in other ways after that or even before potentially? So as far as joining the community and doing things right away after this tournament experience and learning the game. Yeah, absolutely. I joined the Stimhack forums pretty much right away. I got involved in that and I started reading up on tournament experiences and tournament winning deck lists. And it was right after Team Covenant had done the 2014 coverage of Worlds that I really decided I am going to get into this game competitively. I really want to play a lot of tournaments and talk to people and get more involved in this community. But before that, between picking up the game halfway through Genesis and that 2014 moment, I had at least gotten online and started talking to people and I started going to GNKs and talking to locals and getting to know them. The ways that I kind of got involved in the Netrunner community were the Stimhack forums. And then at the time that I joined, StimSlack was a thing. There's a stimhack.com Slack channel, stimhack.slack.com. At that time, it was kind of the premier way to like really get involved in the community. I think that there are two ways that I would very strongly recommend someone who's new to Netrunner to really get involved and learn more about the community and learn more about Netrunner and participate more. One is it is really important to have a good relationship with your local meta. The store that you play games at, the place that you do store championships at, having good relationships there matters a lot because a mm-hmm. lot of times those are people that if you get to the point where you want to travel for events, those are the people who are going to road trip with you. If you get to the point where you have a super secret idea that you want to test out, the best way to keep things from leaking is by having a small tight-knit group like that. If nothing else, making sure that you have enough people invested in your local meta to get a store champ kit and potentially get a regionals kit matters a lot. Yep. So that's one. The other main pillar, I would say, is these online places. These days, there are a few more than there were back in the day. Stimhack Forum still exists. Stimslack still exists and is still very active. I know that Green Level Clearance Discord, that is a Discord that exists. I'm not personally in it. I hear good things. I would say if you find yourself being interested in the game, definitely check those out. It's a great way to talk with a lot of people about Netrunner a lot. And one of the ways that you get better at Netrunner is just hearing people think things out loud and hearing people talk about why they think a card is good or a card is bad. Sometimes there are differing opinions about cards, and sometimes both of those differing opinions are correct because cards are contextual things. Sometimes they're very good in a deck. Sometimes they're very bad in a different deck. So getting these differing opinions matters a lot. Sometimes in the case of slums, there's two differing opinions, and they're both wrong. True, true. I will say when it relates to having a good relationship with your local crew, if there isn't a local crew, I will say that it is not as difficult as people think to build one. So if you find that you want to play Netrunner 
and there is not a local crew and people are not scheduling games and people are not getting together to figure out when they want to play, do it. It's really not as hard as it seems. And if you have any experience doing that with other groups of friends, like say you DM for D&D or something like that, really similar. You put up a Facebook group or you put up some sort of calendar and you say, we're going to play on this day and you get people in and you pick a store and just start going with it. As Pants said, get on Stimhack Slack or Green Level Clearance Discord or the Stimhack forums or wherever you can find people talking about Netrunner. There's a bunch of people that organize that are willing to answer questions just like there are a bunch of people during a game that'll answer whatever questions you have about how did I play or how does this icebreaker work or what's this Gentechi thing? There's a lot of resources to, to get things like that going. Yeah, because Netrunner is a pretty niche game, these online places of connection matter a lot. There are a lot of people in the community who have experience with community building. It's a skill that you can crowdsource very well in Netrunner because a lot of people have had to do it. All right, so you have another couple of questions to move on to, right? I do. The next one is actually very off-brand for slums. So apologies to our listeners, uh, possibly skip ahead in the episode, but the next question is, because I want to highlight this, this is actually one of the things that is fun about Netrunner. And even if you're a bad player, you can have these moments. What was the first moment that you felt good at Netrunner? <laughs> Cut the feed. It's a legitimate question. I told you it was going to... Uh, all right, fine. It's off-brand. Cutting the feed was appropriate. No, I have an answer for this. It's actually when I made my first cut. I put together this fast advance New Angeles Soul deck. And I had taken the world's winning deck called Radish and Cheese Plate. It had been nerfed because the wireless net pavilion card had been retroactively turned unique. I thought that the deck was still good. And spoiler on... alert, it was. Yeah. So for those in the audience not familiar with the cards, what wireless net pavilion does is it says resources that you control cost two additional credits to trash. So obviously, if you have three of them in play, what that basically says is none of your resources ever get trashed if you're tagged because it costs an extra six. But the sneaky thing is, if you have one wireless net pavilion in play, it still says none of your resources can be trashed because two is still a very large amount of credits. And it turns out to be four when you have the two for the basic action. I was like, this deck is still good. And there was a lot of the people in the community that were like, it's, it's crap now. It's, it's not a great deck. I will say that I was vindicated when Ben Nee took second with a max deck that was basically Radisson cheese plate with some changes. I'm sorry, you called the second place deck at Worlds? We have to cut the feed. I think it's the first <laughs> time I've cut the feed, actually. Wow. Twice before I even get out the point. I take this deck. I change like two cards. You can't outrace that once it's set up. Like, you just can't. Because by the sixth turn, I've milled your entire deck plus a couple of cards. So I felt really good about that. Not only did I call that this deck is still good, I made two changes to it, made it faster. And the two pairings of those decks propelled me to like fifth at that tournament. And it had like 40 people. I ended up making my first cut and it was fantastic. Second seed to drop one game. So obviously not the very first regionals that I played at my first tournament. I did not do super well at that one. But in 2017, that year was in the Moons meta. I was playing Moons at the time. First round, I got a sweep. 
second round, I was paired up against Jonas Wilson, who we actually had an episode where we talked to Jonas relatively recently. I think uncontroversial to say one of the best players in the game. and At least the best deck builder. You never want to sit down in a Netrunner tournament when you are a relatively new player. You never like sitting down against someone who you recognize their screen name on JNet. It's very intimidating. So I started off on the corp side and I was playing Moons. Moons, for those less familiar with it, it's an HB deck that is very, very tempo driven. Your entire game plan is basically install assets, gain tempo from those assets, and then translate that tempo into more tempo. And once you have an overwhelming advantage in tempo, you can just do really broken stuff. I started off that way. I kind of had the classic turn one for Moons and Jonas plays a Count Siphon out of Haley. I am just completely shocked <laughs> and flabbergasted. Yeah, <laughs> which is a huge tempo hit. So the game is already not going super well, but I draw into absolute gas. Install a turtlebacks, install a turtlebacks, install an advanced assembly lines the next turn, and I'm just off to the races. It's like, you know, I've, I've got the two turtlebacks running now. I have completely recovered from account siphon in one turn, and I proceed to do the moon's thing against the guy that invented moons. <laughs> so actually winning that game, I felt very good at Nemrunner. <laughs> of course, came crashing immediately down back to earth in the next game where, yeah, that, that, that game went significantly worse for me overall. I can imagine. It's a nice reminder that even the big names are mortal. You can win games against them, but don't make a huge deal about it. Focus more on your level of play than on whether or not you won a game against a particular person, as <laughs> I think the, the lesson to learn there. That was a fun one. I actually ended up making the cut in that tournament and scrubbing out in two games. So that was fun. Relating back to the kind of Netrunner seems to mostly be a game where opponents that you play against are actually people and they treat you as a person. That, at least in my opinion, has proven true for well-known players of the game too. Netrunner celebrity doesn't go to people's heads the way that it does in some other games, which is good. I think the community would be worse off if there were kind of Netrunner celebrities who wouldn't give you the time of day because they don't recognize you. Yeah, I think that's for two reasons. Number one, because of what you said, niche community. Everybody kind of knows everybody. That can feel intimidating because there are a lot of old friendships there. But if you're not a good actor, people are going to know. And so I think that a lot of people value not having a reputation as a complete dick. I'm not sure it's staying in line. It's more just you care about things other than just winning. You care about you're standing exactly. in the community. You care about you care about the overall health of the community. And Netrunner doesn't get a community like this by accident. I guess for listeners who are new to the game, who are thinking this sounds great, I would love to play a card game that I really like, surrounded by people who kind of have this attitude. It does come with a caveat. We have to still make sure that the community functions like this. <laughs> exactly. It's the universal rule of don't be a dick. I think also that a lot of these people are just genuinely playing the game because they want a hobby that they have a good time at and they understand my actions mean somebody does or does not have a good time. By the time they got into Netrunner, they were seasoned gamers and were just kind of like, you know, we don't have to do what we did before. Right. I think we touched on this in the Spags episode a little bit. There's an entirely non-altruistic reason to not be a dick. And it's, it is much more fun to play a tournament and you do better at tournaments overall. If less of your mental energy goes towards the angle shooting and towards 
the bullshit and towards your opponent being a dick. If you can actually focus your brain on playing Netrunner, it's more fun and you do better. Mm -hmm. More competition is great because it makes the streams more fun to watch. It makes the games more interesting. It just improves the experience for everybody in literally every aspect. So yeah, just not spending any mental energy on being an asshole is aces in my book. What about really big tournaments? What I'm thinking here is if you go to like a national champ or you go to a tournament at Gen Con, like a continental, or you go to the world championships or something like that. Let's talk a little bit about that experience. One thing that I want to note right out of the gate to people who are less familiar with the way that Netrunner tournaments work, all of the tournaments I just described are open tournaments. You don't have to qualify to go to Worlds. You can go to Worlds. And honestly, at least for me, a lot of the reason to go to Worlds isn't that you might win Worlds. Sure, you might. That's great. Always having that chance, that is definitely a reason to go. Like the fact that you can win really cool prizes from competing at Worlds, also a really good reason to go. But don't get distracted by the fact that that's all true. It is also just a good way to make new Netrunner friends and hang out with your Netrunner friends when you're in a place where you're all united by this hobby that you share. Just for anybody unfamiliar, the tier system does go store championship, regional, nationals, continentals, worlds. And normally what happens is they are open tournaments, as Pants said, but you get a buy for the next tier of tournament. So you essentially hand in your buy card. And for the first round, you're considered to have won both of your games. So winning lower tier tournaments, so to speak, is always good but it is not going to get you invited to an exclusive tournament. So what's the actual question here? Is it basically the first? Okay, fine. I can think of a question. Do any stories stick out from that first nationals level or above tournament that you went to? Oh yeah, for sure. Knowing us, let's stick to like max one story each. Worlds 2015, I think was my first big tournament. And I remember during the icebreaker portion of that tournament, which was just an introductory tournament before the actual event begins, I was outside with the smokers and I had been drinking and it was just normally the only time I smoke. And I turned to somebody and I go, can I grab a cigarette, man? I got a, I got a couple of bucks. I could, I could toss you one. The person's like, nah, and they, and they hand me a cigarette. They go, well, what brings you out here? And I noticed that it's Melvin. And I'm like, bro, I've been at some GNKs with you. <laughs> Do you not recognize me? Ever since then, Melvin and I have been pretty good friends and sparring partners when it comes to Netrunner. <laughs> but it was like, what the fuck, man? You don't recognize me? Come on. It's a very slums tier move. That doesn't really relate to Netrunner, but it relates to just how I feel about worlds. It's kind of a big party where you're just going there to really hang out with people and share a communal hobby. I guess that's what I've got. Pretty succinct story on that one. Yeah. A lot of my favorite stories at big tournaments like that, they're Netrunner adjacent. It is only a part of a big tournament, the actual playing of Netrunner. One of the stories that sticks out for me at the first Worlds that I went to, which was 2017, I was completely undecided what corp I was going to play the next day. I was trying to make this decision at a solid 1 a.m. the night before I had to register my deck list, as one does. We were just up at 1 a.m. 
and we were in the lobby of the hotel watching the icebreaker tournament streams to try to figure out you know what did this person play did that look good they were playing some test games i was doing some reverse engineering on decks and just that process of very rapid iteration and very rapid trying to figure out okay what the heck do i do this is stuff that i should have figured out last week it feels very emblematic of the process of getting to a big netrunner tournament that's the exact type of shit that you always do and it's a lot of fun the speed that the ideas move and the camaraderie that you get from staying up until 3 a.m in a goddamn hotel lobby i'm a huge fan that's a really cool aspect people just iterating up until the last second going over single card decisions ctz turning down free beers because he and uh, noah had to talk about their card choices which he says to this day was worth it. Not a slump steer move. <laughs> Not a slump steer move. They did really well that year. What the hell, CTZ? Broke the okay. max story rule. That was kind of a story, but at least it was yeah. short. Related here, one of the coolest things, in my opinion, about Netrunner is how global the game is. Do you have Netrunner friends from parts of the world that you never would have expected? I definitely do. Many of the worlds in the past, there has been a side tournament called King of Servers, which essentially is a team tournament. You and three other people compete. And one of the things that's cool about it is on the corp side, you have to have all of the factions represented between the four of you. And on the runner side, you have to have all three of the main factions represented and you can't duplicate any IDs. So there's some wacky deck building. There's the chance to do some really creative, crazy stuff that may not always have the goal of winning Netrunner games. That particular year, I was on a King of Servers team with three players from New Zealand. One of whom, Dividus, who you almost certainly will recognize because he's currently the lead developer of Nisei. And that was just great. Getting to meet people from a country I've never been to and a country that I actually think before that point I didn't know anyone from. And we played Netrunner together for a whole day. Not something that I expected when I started playing the game, but it is something that is very possible and tons of people have stories exactly like this. Yeah, for sure. In a similar vein, I played on a British team one year. It was uh, Team Glazebrook. The giant vegetables, dude? Yes. They were looking for a fourth player, and I was looking for a team after the slots had been filled. I think that was 2017. So I was on honorary Brit for a year. We did very poorly. We did very, very poorly. <laughs> the other British teams did very, very well. We were bottom half easy, but we hung out a lot for beers and for spectating games during day two. I wouldn't have met these guys and hung out with them if it wasn't for Netrunner. And also uh, Tolasson. Tol has been to the cities for work and hung out with us and played games of Netrunner. Yeah, I played against them um, at Magnum Opus. Fun games. Mm -hmm. But you're right. The international community around Netrunner is, is amazing and and I don't think that I would have interacted with any of these people of different nationalities and cultures without having gotten into this game. It's one of the great things about forums like StimSlack or GLC. It's easy to meet people from around the world that you share a hobby with and have something to talk about. And that leads to friendship a lot of times. This doesn't necessarily have to be the first moment, but what are some ways you've found yourself doing more for the game? Because I think that that's ultimately a step on a lot of people's Netrunner journeys. You end up liking the game a lot, you end up liking the community a lot, and you end up doing more than just showing up to events. 
So for me, it would be the year that Mead Hall, which is the crew that I normally do this with, and that's Level Up Games now. Level Up was purchasing Mead Hall, and they forgot to get a store championship kit for that year. We had done store championship kits for five or six years running. But basically, we didn't have a store championship at the store that we had a store championship at for half a decade. And we were like, this feels really bad. We need to do something about this. But when that happened, somebody in our meat hall slack was like, well, we could just run our own. We could just do something that's not connected to the FFG tiered tournament system and just run our own tournament. I'm going to reveal now, I did not come up with a name off the grid. They did. They were like, well, we could call it off the grid and it could be like an illicit tournament. Nobody jumped up to do it, though. We kept talking about it and it didn't look like anything was happening as far as organizing. And like I was talking about earlier, if you have an idea or somebody has an idea, but you don't see anybody organizing it, it's not that hard to do. And I, just like many people probably thought it might be something that was way more work than it actually was. And I'm not going to lie. It's a little bit of work. It's stuff that you need to put together and organize and get right in your head. And you probably want a planning document for it or something. I noticed this wasn't happening. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And if any of you want to help, cool. I am going to head this up. We're going to get it done. We're going to have a tournament. I am not going to allow this to stand. Mead Hall is going to host one of these. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. It's going to happen. So I start putting together prize support. I start organizing the tournament. I start putting together graphics. I start putting together commissions. We talked to Kisra and they did their turtle card as a mat. I figured out where you could print those online. I figured out where to get cards for alt art prize support. Bunch of creators in this community do fantastic alt arts. And I just slowly started piecing things together. And we had, I think it was 17 people show up, but we would have had around 30. But what happened was there was a giant blizzard the day of. We had wide Dragoon and one other Canadian come in the day before, so they were there. Three we had, unnamed Canadians, got it. Yes, three unnamed Canadians had showed up. So we did have some international and across state lines people show up. We had somebody show up from Iowa. We had somebody show up from Chicago. And we had a couple of guys show up from lacrosse, including the former world champion, Jens. Keep in mind, that was during a blizzard I continued to do this and I continue to do this every year, except for 2020. You know, I think everybody lost that year for a lot of things. Yeah. So <laughs> it's understandable. One of the years we had 32 people. I'm just going to kind of reiterate it is not as hard as you think. It is not that difficult to do. And I will help. There are people on Slack that will help. There are people on GLC that will help. So if anybody is interested in organizing tournaments, putting things together, getting guidance on that, absolutely. I would be stoked to be a mentor to anybody and give them any ideas that they needed to get that going. And it is super rewarding. If you're going to run a bigger event, you probably don't want to play, but... Even if you're not going to play, it's so much fun to know and to see this fun that you helped create for other people. Getting to talk to people after an event, 
them being like, yo, that was dope. Here's the memories I made from that. There's nothing like that either. That's what I got. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. Like, I, I feel bad going after that. Probably good to highlight that contributions of all sizes matter. It doesn't have to For be sure. something as big as running an entire tournament that people come from across state lines to. First way that I really started getting involved doing more was just making a little bit of extra prize support for a local regional in 2017. At the time, I was still in grad school, so I still had access to a makerspace. And one of the items in that makerspace was a laser cutter. So I kind of thought to myself, what are some of the things that people need to play Netrunner well? And one of the answers is tokens. You need tokens of some sort. I went in and used the laser cutter to make some tokens that were of a size where it was reasonable to have them on a card, but it was also a size that was reasonable to use for like a click tracker. Again, to reiterate, I know it sounds potentially big to say like, I'm going to make an alternative token that people can use. That sounds like the sort of thing that, oh God, like Team Covenant makes those. I guarantee it is not as difficult as you're thinking. You just need access to the thing that you need to actually produce it. In this particular case, the thing that I needed to produce it was a laser cutter, but it can be much easier than that a playmat that you upload to a site that makes custom playmats. And the only thing you have to do is create the image. I promise people are always disproportionately excited to get these unique, strange pieces of swag that might not have the highest production quality. You're not getting the mat that's made by a professional artist, but you're getting something that's very unique, very recognizable, and has a story attached to it. And sometimes getting to tell those stories about the weird Netrunner shit you've picked up over the years is really fun. Getting the ability to give someone a memory like that is fucking sweet. As we covered earlier today, we are now old, washed up hacks, but we do have a lot of experience to look back on. New players who are listening to us definitely shouldn't take our advice about how to play Netrunner. They definitely shouldn't take our advice on, uh, honestly, most things in life. But what would you say to a new player is the biggest thing that they have to look forward to? Well, shit, I have a sappy thing for this. I gave up segments. All right, fine. I'll let you say one sappy thing, but I get to have a segment. Making friends with like-minded people, joining a community that really cares about people as people, cares about where you come from, what your background is, who you are, what you identify as, and is really interested in protecting that and celebrating that. I say over and over again that there is nothing like the Netrunner community, and I fully 100% believe that. I think there are pockets of other communities that are like us. But as a whole, there is nothing like the people that play this game. And the game is awesome. Don't get me wrong. I fucking love this game and I love talking about this game. Actually, the only thing more fun than playing the game is talking about it. But the community is excellent. And I think that when you make the decision to really get involved with the community, that's something to look forward to is making friends with people like that. Honestly? My answer is the same. In the interest of saying something that isn't exactly what you said, I'm going to list a second one, which is Netrunner is a fucking sick game. You'll have those light bulb moments where you just realize, oh shit, this thing goes together with that. You'll have it about plays too. You'll have the light bulb moment where you realize, oh wait, if I use my ice destruction card like this, then that unlocks this completely other line of play that I was not expecting. If I click for a credit here, then I have exactly enough to do this thing, which gives me exactly the right thing that I need to do this other thing. Getting to piece things together in Netrunner 
is incredibly fun and incredibly rewarding. And the thing that I love about Netrunner, which I have a feeling you'll love too if you're listening to this episode, is how much agency you have. The fact that you get a number of actions in your turn, but you choose what the hell you do with them. You have so many lines that you can take. You have so many different routes to victory that are all valid. You never reach a point where you know everything about Netrunner and it never gets to the point where things are stale because there are so many different things that you can do and so many different ways to play. Absolutely. 100% agree with that. I will say that at first, the level of agency that the game gives you can feel overwhelming. But the thing you have to look forward to is reaching a comfort level where you are making decisions and they feel like your decisions and they feel like you are playing a game where you get to have these interactions that you dictate. It feels often to me when playing Magic that the cards dictate what I do. And that's true to some extent in Netrunner. There are occasionally games where mm -hmm. you can't go into a server because you just can't draw your breaker. But you do yeah. still have agency over how many times you click to draw to find that breaker. It always feels like there is something that you can do unless a game has gone wildly off the rails. You're not getting told by your cards what to do. You're using your cards as tools to play the game. You're going to figure it out and it's going to click and it's going to feel awesome. Okay. Well, I am extracting my blood price. You had your one sappy thing. I have my one segment. <laughs> one of our absolute classic segments. It is near and dear to both of our hearts. That segment is Ban or Nab. For those less familiar, Ban or Nab is a segment we have a card and we discuss whether we should ban it or nab it. Ban or Nab. Hospiroid Precision Design. Ban. Ban. Moving on. All right, that is the end of the episode. Thank you for sticking with us if you stuck with us this far. If you liked what you heard today, please follow the podcast. We are available on most major podcast distribution networks. If you want a feed of Slumscast in your life, then that's an interesting decision, but you can in fact do that. If you liked what you heard, feel free to rate us, leave a review. It helps us show up in search algorithms and things like that. That's the only reason we care. If you are interested in telling people that you don't listen to this podcast, which totally understand if you are, makes perfect sense. I would too. We do have a merch store on Redbubble. If you just search Slumscast, we are the first thing that'll show up. If you have any questions or comments after listening to this episode, you can find in the show notes a way to contact us. You can reach us on Stimslack, Twitter, Reddit, a few other places. Those are the main ways. We also have an email. You can email us if you want to, but fair warning, we don't check that every single day the way that we do Stimslack because we're terminally on Stimslack. If you have any concerns about what you heard this week, then good. There's a question on whether or not we should keep buys, but I think that they provide a good incentive to go to those more local tournaments. So I can't think of anything that would replace them that would provide that same sort of incentive, especially for the more uh, competitive players. Fully functioning dinosaurus plushie. Like yeah. it's also a computer that boosts your breakers. If we could figure that out scientifically. The technology is not quite there, but once it is, I think that that's a good replacement for the buy.